1: Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 305 with Kristen Hadid. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation because Kristen is just so open and honest about her mistakes and how she learned from them. It's endearing and powerful and just so much good stuff. So you'll learn one, when and how to deliver critical feedback, two, the detrimental effects of praise, and three, the power of vulnerability to grow an inspired workforce. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F305. Now, here is Kristen's story. Kristen Hadid is the founder and CEO of Student Made, a student-powered cleaning company in Florida. She helps organizations make a lasting, meaningful impact on people by creating environments in which they thrive. Her first book, Permission to Screw Up, tells the stories of her biggest mistakes in leadership. She hopes to inspire other leaders to share their perfectly imperfect stories of success, to empower people with the knowledge that even if they screw up, they can still make it. Kristen and Student Maid have been featured in news outlets including PBS, Fox Inc., NBC, Time, and Forbes. Her first TED Talk has received nearly 3 million views on YouTube. So thanks to Kristen for sharing some time with us, and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out.
0: Working remotely can be a challenge, especially for teams that are new to it. How do you deal with your work environment being the same as home while staying connected and productive? And then there's your newest coworker, the cat. Well, your friends at Trello have been powering remote teams globally for almost a decade. At a time when teams must come together more than ever to solve big challenges, Trello's here to help. Trello, part of Atlassian's collaborative suite, is an app with an easy-to-understand visual format plus tons of features that make working with your team functional and just plain fun. Trello keeps everyone organized and on the same page, helping teams communicate, focus, and connect. Teams of all shapes and sizes at companies like Google, Fender, Costco, and likely your favorite neighborhood coffee shop all use Trello to collaborate and get work done. Try Trello for free and learn more at Trello.com. That's T R E L L O dot com. Trello dot com.
1: Here is Kristen. Kristen, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
0: Thank
2: you for having me.
1: Oh, I think we're going to have so much fun here. And first, I want to hear the tale. I understand that one time you actually cleaned Tim Tebow's house while in college. And did you bump into him? You didn't know who he was. What's the story here?
2: So I am the worst Gator football fan ever. I went to the University of Florida, which, you know, is a big school, cares about football. And yes, I cleaned Tim Tebow's apartment several times, and I did not even know it was him.
1: So he's a student there.
2: He was a student. Yes. And that was when he was, you know, we won the national championship. I mean, I should have known who he was, but nope, no clue.
1: Well, so he's living large, you know, college student having someone clean his house.
2: Yeah, (laughs) I'd say so.
1: That's right. They treat the athletes well. There's probably like a stipend for that or, or, or something. Yeah. That's a good time. Well, I'm so excited to dig into this conversation we're going to talk a lot about mistakes and learning and screwing up and and in a way it's kind of meta because boy well so so you and I we know each other through our our agency for for speaking on college campuses campus speak shout out yeah and so it's been a lot of fun chatting with you there and then way back in 2013 you also joined me on the student leadership podcast oh yeah yeah I know I kind of forgot too it was it was some years ago And so talk about mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes with that first podcast. It never really really took off, but I learned so much from them. And so I think we're going to have a better conversation this time around, and uh, it'll reach about a hundred times as many people. There you
2: go. Love it.
1: Oh show. So let's orient us a little bit. The student made. What's your company all about?
2: Sure. So I definitely was not one of those kids that came out of the womb saying, I want to be a CEO one day. I want to start a company. I was super lost in college, changed my major nine times, finally ended up with finance because I'd heard that you can make a lot of money working on Wall Street. I didn't even know what that meant, but I thought I could figure that out because to me at the time, success was about making a lot of money. And I used to go to the mall all the time when I was in college and window shop because I could not afford to buy anything. And I just so happened to go to the mall this one day. I fell in love with a pair of jeans that I could not afford. And it sounds so silly, but my company started because of this pair of jeans. They were $99. And I thought, what is something I can do to just make 99 bucks and buy this pair of jeans and just call it a day. And my first idea was to put an ad on Craigslist to clean someone's house. And a woman hired me. It was a disaster.
1: Oh my! How so?
2: (laughs) Well, I had no idea how to clean, and she she had a mansion. And uh, I (laughs) told her it would take me two hours. I didn't have any supplies. I only had like a sponge and a bottle of Windex to clean this four thousand square foot house. And it took me seven hours, and I wasn't even done at the seven hour mark. It was just. She, she was like, you need to leave because it was dark outside and, and she'd already put her kids to bed. It was a disaster, but she paid me and then I bought the jeans and then she actually called me back and said, I really need help. And she, she joked and said she could teach me how to clean. And so that's how the, the whole thing started. I cleaned her house every week. She told her friends about me. I forgot to take the ad down off of Craigslist. And then in college, as I, you know, every year I kind of, I gained more clients, but I never thought this would be my career. So the turning point really happened right before my senior year. I got this big contract to clean hundreds of empty apartments. And And so it it was just you at this point. It was just me. Maybe I had a couple people helping me, but they weren't, it wasn't a serious business. You know, this was just like a side gig. So I got, I get this contract. It's 800 and something apartments. They're filthy. I hire 60 people to help me with the work. And these are all college students who I hired. I have no idea how to lead a team of people. I don't have any real business experience, so I, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm a terrible leader. A couple of days into the contract, 45 of the 60 people just walk in and quit, like on the spot at the same time. Uh,
1: so it was like in unison, like a group <laughs> uh, meeting, or, or it how? It should did have been in or-
2: a movie. It was yes. It was like I was sitting in this air conditioned clubhouse in the middle of the complex. With my feet propped up, eating a Caesar salad, right before they walked in, I remember thinking to myself, "This is so easy." You know, maybe I could be an entrepreneur. This is—I I like this because I was doing nothing. I was just sitting in this room doing nothing, and they walk in, and um, I know something's wrong because they're whispering, and I can hear someone saying, "Do it, do it, do it." And so I know in my gut something really serious is about to happen. And then, and then one just stood forward, and she said, "We quit." And I remember—I mean, I was so shocked; I couldn't even process what had just happened. And it's so funny to me that I had no clue. I, I remember thinking, why are they leaving? But now looking back, no, of course they wanted to leave. And the work was absolutely horrible. You're cleaning empty, filthy college apartments. And then you have this leader who doesn't seem to care about you at all. Who's sitting in the air conditioning with her feet propped up, eating lunch and w- scrolling Facebook. Of course you want to quit.
1: Oh Understood. So was there like a speech or did they, <laughs> did they lay out their grievances or they <laughs> just said, we, we quit? And then, then know, it's, it's, it's
2: done. We quit, and they turned around and they walked out, and I was shocked. Then it turned to anger. You know, I was thinking, how could they do this? I'm paying them, and and there was so much work to do, and I only had 15 people left. So I ran and I found those people, and I told them what happened, and they weren't r- really surprised. And I, <laughs> I said, well, you know, what can you help me figure this out? We have to get them back. And so I, I think they wanted to help me because it sounded more fun than cleaning, not because they really wanted to help me, but. They're like, oh, this they is a
1: juicy drama. I want to be part of out. this.
2: <laughs> then someone had this idea to call an emergency meeting at my house that same night. And that the way we would get everyone there is by promising them an early paycheck. Because the way that it was is you'd have to wait the whole three weeks to get your paycheck. But if they came to this meeting that night, they would get it that night. It was a great idea. Everyone showed up. And I just I was just honest. I said, I'm I've never done this before. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know what I did wrong. And I was, I was honest about how scared I was that we had all this work that I didn't know how we would get it done. And, and I think I just, I became a human to them. And I think they realized that I, I was a good person. I just didn't know how to be a leader. And so one kind of said, I'll come back. And then it was a domino effect. Another was coming back. And then next thing you know, they're all coming back. And I always say that that changed the trajectory of my life because it made me really obsessed with learning how to be a better leader. And most importantly, learning how to build a company where people really, really wanted to be and they didn't want to walk out. And so that was that for me was, I think, looking back, that was the moment that I I didn't do it consciously. But I think that's when I gave up my desire to move to New York and and work on Wall Street because that summer really changed everything. We became a team and then I graduated and I, I turned down a job in finance to stick with with student made. And here we are. It's been nine years.
1: That's so cool. Congratulations to you. And so you share these tales and these lessons learned in your book, Permission to Screw Up. Why that title?
2: So it's pretty funny. I always wanted to write a book, but I never knew what I wanted to write about. And the way I got my book contract was kind of a backwards way. I was giving a talk, my publisher was in the audience, and I just so happened to be speaking about millennials at that event. And so my publisher says, I want you to write a book. And I started writing about millennials because I thought that's what he wanted me to write about. That's what I had just spoken about. And when I finished the book, I didn't like it because I, I, and I didn't actually finish it. I, you know, halfway through, I said, this is not everything I'm writing about applies to all people, not just millennials. So I, I, I threw that version away. And then I started to write about student made and just the journey of leadership and, it was empty. And I I went to dinner with a friend who's written several really great books. And I asked him, I said, how do you know when you're writing the right book? And he said, in my experience, the right book is the one that's really, really hard to write. And so I thought about that. And the book I was writing was not hard. And so I, I changed my thinking to what would make it hard. And that's when I realized that I was writing about all the lessons I had learned, but I wasn't talking about what it took to learn them. So yeah, I I know the importance of empowering people, but I only know that because I micromanaged people and people quit. I know the importance of building a relationship that's real and meaningful with your people, but only because I had superficial relationships um, that did not lead to trust and and loyalty. And so I, I wrote about the, 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 how I learned it part, which was not fun. And, and some of the stories I wrote about paint me in a light that I don't really want to be painted in, but it's the truth and it's, it's how I learned. And So the title, Permission to Screw Up, it's about giving yourself permission. Like you don't need it from anybody else. You don't have to be perfect. Give yourself permission to screw up and to be human. And in doing that, you will inspire the people around you to be more human.
1: Well, I like that. I like that a lot. Thank you. Well, so you've got a a lot of wisdom packed in there. Could you maybe share just a couple of, of the most dramatic shifts that you made in terms of, hmm, you know, before I was thinking this way and then... I had this experience, which showed me that, no, that's totally wrong. I should think about it the other way. And so, and the practices that you abandoned or adopted as a result of some of those insights.
2: I would say the first major shift really had to do with feedback because 45 people quit on me. I was really afraid to give critical feedback to people because I thought it would make them quit. And I was the kind of leader who would recognize People every day and for things that really didn't deserve, you know, recognition, like thank you for being on time today, but that's their job. they are supposed to be on time. And on people's birthdays, I would say, thank you for being born. I mean, I I recognized everything about everyone because I thought that was what it I thought that meant they would be happy and they would stay. And so I realized two things. Uh one that when we overpraise and we over recognize, we actually are doing people a disservice because it doesn't help them understand what their true strengths and contributions are. It's also not meaningful. But number two, when we avoid feedback that really needs to be given, the critical feedback, the, the kind of feedback that really helps people grow, we're hurting them because we have this opportunity. We see a way that they can be better and we don't speak up. We're, we're hurting their growth and their development. So there was a student I had who, uh, I,
1: she, she did
2: a couple of things. I mean, things that were really bad, like trying on a client's high heels. And, um, what did spray. you doing What's the high heels? <laughs> trying on a client type. Oh, oh
1: just putting them. Okay. Yeah. Or like,
2: <laughs> um, playing Mary had a little lamb on a client's antique piano that clearly is off limits and just stuff that would get under my skin. And every time I would hear about something, I would say, okay, I'm going to confront her. And I never did. And then I finally got the courage to do it. And I did it in an email It was total cop out. And then she quit. And then I I felt guilty because I felt like, man, you know, I I really missed out on this opportunity to make her better. Now, chances are the, the value she had, it, it wouldn't have worked out anyway. But I should have told her way earlier that this kind of behavior was not acceptable and I missed out on that opportunity to help her learn and to help her grow. So I, I, there's a tool that I love teaching. It's in the book. It's not, it's not my own. I learned it from a company called Barry Waymeller, one of my favorite companies in the world. And it's called the FBI. And it's a way to give feedback both critical and recognition um, that inspires behavior change or inspires someone to keep doing something great. And it's a sentence. Each letter stands for something. So feeling, behavior, impact, how you felt about someone's specific behavior and what the impact of that behavior was. So if someone's late, for example, you could say, I felt disappointed That you were 30 minutes late to our meeting this morning. And the impact, even though I know it was not your intention, now the impact is I don't know if I can rely on you. And I don't wanna feel that way. So can you help me? The idea is that person probably didn't wake up saying, I can't wait to be late so that you're disappointed and you feel like you you can't rely on me. But once we tell them, once we tell them how we feel, the impact it's had, now they wanna change that behavior. And then on, on the flip side, recognition, you could say, I felt proud. When you spoke up at the meeting this morning and when you shared your opinion, the impact that had is everyone else felt comfortable sharing their own. And we had a really productive meeting. And now you're telling that person, I want to see that again. I want to see you share your opinion again when you have one in a meeting. I I love the FBI now. In my company, every single person on our team, that's one of the first things they learn even before they learn how to dust and vacuum. So we were big on the FBI. The second thing I would say is about when is it time to give up? And that was really hard for me. I'm someone who believes in everyone's potential. And I think it's really hard to, when you're, when you're programmed that way, when is it time to walk away from someone? And on the flip side, if you're working in an organization and you're giving it your all and you, and you see the potential in this organization, but it's just not right. It's not right for you right now. When do you walk away? Do you walk away? And we have this, this metaphor that we use at student made, it's called the line, and it symbolizes what it takes for the relationship to really work. And what we say is the, the leadership team, the executive team, we're, we're going to stand at this line every day. And what that means is we are going to invest in you, care about you, give you feedback to help you grow, support you, stand by you when you fail. You know, we're, we're going to give you the tools to do your job. And, and that that's what it's like standing at the line for us. But it only works if you're at the line, which means that you're doing something with the feedback we give you. You're giving us feedback when when there's room for us to grow, you're getting back up when you fail. You care. You know, what I, what I've learned in this whole thing is you can't make someone care. You can't make someone change. You can't make someone anything. They have to want it. So if you are standing at the line whether you are leading a team of people whether you're not, you know, but if you're at the line and you're by yourself, I think that's how you know when it's time to walk away because you can't force that other party to stand at the line with you. They have to want to do that.
1: Understood. And so then it sounds like you've had some experiences then when others are are not standing at the line and they've needed to be let go.
2: Yes. Yeah, so there was a student we had many years ago. Her name was Kayla. And Kayla, she was the best cleaner we had ever seen. I mean, you could eat off the floor after she cleaned it. And when I met her, I learned early on that she had a really rocky home life. She was the first person in her family to Go to school. She was fully supporting herself. She came from physical and emotional abuse and made it very clear that student maid was like her family. So I made a vow to myself that I was going to protect her and keep her as a part of our family, no matter what. And the problem was Kayla had a, a real issue with being on time. She was late very often and it wasn't just five minutes late, 10 minutes late. Sometimes it would be 45 minutes late. And so I really struggled with, here's this person. I know she's struggling in her personal life and that that we mean a lot to her. She's also a really fantastic cleaner, but yet she can't be on time. What do I do? And it started to cause a lot of tension on the team because other leaders in the company would say this, this isn't fair. We're, we're requiring everyone else to have to be on time. So we have to hold her to the same standard. Well, what I ended up doing with her is I made exception after exception after exception. And it got so bad that she started to not show up to work. And so then I just had her cleaning my own house because I didn't want her actions to impact anyone else. Long story short, I found out that she had a substance abuse problem and she really needed to go and get help for that. And so I had to eventually walk away from her and she went to a rehab center and, and she, she got better. And then after that, she called me out of the blue one day and she thanked me for giving up on her. And I, and I thought, you know, wait, what? And it was the first time anyone ever thanked me for giving up on them. And she said, had you not walked away from me? my i would have never hit rock bottom and i would have never wanted to take ownership over my life so i realized that you can't keep giving people chance after chance after chance you know you have to they have to want to change they have to be open to that they have to be ready for that and so that that experience really really helped me and it made me realize that sometimes the best thing you can do for someone and even the best thing you can do for an organization is to say i'm i'm walking away because that's when the other party decides hmm i need to change something here
1: Understood, and I imagine there are other occasions, maybe less dramatic, in which folks aren't living up to the line as well.
2: Oh, of course. I mean, yeah, and I think the key is it should never be a surprise to someone when they're being asked to to leave. You know, it, it, this should not be coming out of the blue here. It's it, okay. We've talked about this. We've made a self improvement plan. We've identified what happens if the if the plan doesn't work, and now we're here. And so what we find in our company now is that people don't. We, we usually don't have to ask anyone to leave. It's they come forward and say, look, I know we, we had this agreement for this plan. I didn't do my part. And so now I know that I, I have to walk away.
1: Yeah, that's powerful. And I guess I'm so intrigued by some organizations in which there are some that have a really strong performance culture and expectations and, and clarity and, and folks who just clearly need to go and, and go. And then others that just sort of seem terrified of, of lawsuits and their hideouts and stowaways and, and just severely underperforming folks who are, remain. And, and there is no like, termination just out of, of a terror of, of lawsuits. What's, what's your take on that? Have you had to deal with lawsuit issues or it's just been pretty smooth? Or how do you think about the risk liability side of it all? Well,
2: I'll just say this. You name what could happen in a business? I have been there. I've got the t shirt, you know, <laughs> I've done it all, been through it all. But I think when you're operating out of fear, that's a problem. The route that I take is let's never get to that point where there is fear. So I think it starts at the beginning. You know, are you hiring people who really embody the values? And then do your people feel empowered to speak up when they notice that there's someone on the team who isn't living the values? And how can you make sure that, that those people aren't really? a part of the company for too long. And, and then, like I said, the, the feedback should be regular. It should be ongoing. It should, it should never be a surprise that this person is letting the team down, but yeah, I think you have to live. I think you have to, if if there's someone who is not standing at the line or they're hurting the organization, they're hurting the team. They aren't ethical. They're not living the values they have to go. And your fear of a lawsuit or whatever it may be cannot trump that because the message you're sending to everyone else in the company is actually the values that we say are so important, aren't that important because we're letting this person stay on the team.
1: And so, so you have been sued.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. But the story I think of in that, when you said that there was someone I had on, in it's on the team who I knew was stealing. People had come forward and told me, and I was afraid of her. I was afraid that if I confronted her, she would sue me which is so backwards because it's like she was stealing from the company. Oh my goodness. You know, what What am I afraid? But I let her stay on the team. I was afraid to confront her and the way that she was stealing, she was adding time to her payroll. So she was exaggerating her hours. And what ended up happening is she, t- she would go to newer people who didn't really, you know, who who were just brand new and she would kind of bully them into lying about their hours so that their hours would match hers.
1: Oh, because they're partners, right?
2: Yes, they're partners. The toxicity spread to so many people. So many people exaggerated their hours. I ended up having to let them all go. Had I just dealt with the with the problem the first time I heard of it, you know, it would have never grown into that. But that, I mean, that was a huge mistake I made. And it cost, and then all the people who came forward and said, this is happening, and then they watched me do nothing about it. I ended up losing those people because they didn't want to work with a company where the values and everything we said we st- we stood for, we actually didn't. I think it's, you you just have to treat people like you have to care about people and you have to treat them with respect and you have to treat them the way you'd want to be treated. And if you do that, yes, sometimes things get ugly and, and people are hurt, but I try to, I try to look past that and think about like, what's the real root of this. I mean, every time where there has been something where someone's come back to the company, it's because they were hurt. They didn't feel cared for. They didn't feel valued. And and that's what made them take this action. And so I think we we just learned a lot from those situations. And sometimes it's not related to me. Sometimes it's related to someone who maybe was was their leader, and and they didn't make them feel valued and cared for. So it just it's really hard when you're in this position of leadership. And I think it's really hard to learn the dance between holding people accountable and really making them feel cared for it and, and valued. And until you figure out what that balance is, you know you're going to mess up.
1: I hear you. Cool. Well, I, I just wanted to say or hear from you if you have that, that strong encouragement for those who are in that fearful place of someone needs to be let go, but I'm terrified of a lawsuit. To, to summarize, you're saying, don't live out of fear. It shouldn't be a surprise. And it's you're saying it's absolutely worth it to just to live out the values and experience some consequences because you really come out ahead.
2: Yeah, yeah. And and a mentor once gave me some advice that, I, that helps me even today. Whenever I'm afraid of something, I think about what is the worst worst that could happen? And I, and I just wrap my mind around what's the worst case scenario. And then I think about, well, what would I do if that happened? And now all of a sudden I'm not worried because I have thought about the worst case. I know what I'll do. And how many times does the worst case actually happen? Hardly
1: ever. Excellent. Oh, cool. Well, so give us some, some more pro tips when it comes to cultivating meaningful relationships. You said you used to host parties, but that wasn't quite doing the trick. What, what is doing the trick?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I think, well, I used to think relationships were about just being together. When I started the company, I was the same age as my, my team. I had a graduation party and I invited them over and we would go to the same pool parties and this and that. And at the end of the day, our relationships were superficial. I mean, we were talking about what we were doing over the weekend or what our plans were for summer vacation. You know, it wasn't really about anything with, with any kind of depth. And over time I learned that if you really want meaningful relationships, you have to know people deeply. You have to know where they come from. You have to know the experiences that really shape them and the moments in their life that really define who they are. And the only way you know is by asking and sharing yourself and being vulnerable yourself. So we do regular exercises at student made. It's called Development Day. Every quarter, we bring our whole company together. And we always start with three vulnerability questions. And the leadership team will answer the questions in front of the whole room. And then everyone splits off into different teams and they answer the questions amongst their team. So examples are, what is the most challenging relationship in your life and why? Or uh, what's a moment that really defined who you are that you haven't shared with many people? Or what's one thing that that's preventing you from coming from becoming a better you that you're not doing that you should be doing things that really are hard to talk about, but that when you do, you actually form a connection, you actually build trust. And a lot of people look at that and they say, wait a minute, this is a little too weird for work and you're crossing the line. And you know, we never force anyone to share anything they don't want to share. So I'll say that. But I think it's it's so crazy because we we spend most of our time at work and with the people we work with. And yet we are afraid of crossing this line and forming a real relationship. Well, I don't want to work with people who I don't really enjoy working with, who I don't have high sense of trust with and you know what kind of what is that and i think if we really want to create a place where there's loyalty and trust we have to create the space for those those conversations to happen so we we do that as a huge huge component of student made and i think actually i think it's the reason that people want to work for a cleaning company because it's certainly not the work that's keeping them there
1: right well that, that is powerful the vulnerability questions which immediately makes me think of Brene brown and then to start with the the leadership and front and center is powerful because it, it's kind of like we're not just forcing you to do this worker bees this here we are showing the way and the putting that example out there and i guess the reason that folks are our leaders is because they they knew what they were getting into you know up front is that this yeah. is a part of the game and as opposed to it might be a little bit trickier to spring that on people hey for uh, tomorrow's meeting here's kind of what i'm <laughs> yeah. thinking
2: <laughs> yeah Yeah. I think you have to explain to, especially when you're doing that, it's what is the purpose of this? Why are we doing this? You know, and, and what's the end goal. And we always say that relationship is the foundation of accomplishment. You know, before we can ever talk about accomplishing any goal, we have to have a really strong foundation that's built on trust and, and real meaningful relationships. And until we have that, we can't talk about our business goals because that, you know, we don't have a foundation to stand on to reach those.
1: Certainly. Well, and I'd imagine it's just like, if if you can share those kind of vulnerabilities, I I get, (laughs) now I'm thinking about the movie Dodgeball. If you can dodge (laughs) a wrench, you can dodge a ball. And and by that, I mean, if you can say this thing, that's hard to say that, that doesn't have, you know, direct business impact or, or, or feedback about performance, but it's important to you, if you can say that, then in a way that just really kind of builds up your, your capabilities to have other difficult conversations in terms of, you know, what this, this performance is really disappointing in, in these ways, or you know, hey, here's, here's some perspective I have for you on how you know I found this challenging or upsetting. It's like an icebreaker that actually breaks ice, I guess, is how I'm thinking about it.
2: Right. Yep. Totally.
1: That's cool. Well, so now as a result of sort of all this stuff, you've got some impressive retention rates for your workers as compared to, I guess, the cleaning industry at large. Can you share just a little bit of sort of wh- where you're sitting versus the industry norms and any other kind of elements of the secret sauce you think are behind that?
2: Yeah. The, the cleaning industry has a, oh such a high, re- I mean, turnover rate, 75% is the average.
1: So that means in one year, 75% of a workforce will, will not be there the next year. Right. All right.
2: And because of that, the customer turnover is also equally high. 55% is the average. So that's hard. But then you add in that in our business model, we hire primarily students, not all students. If, if you're a fit for our culture, you're getting a job. But most of our team members are students. So they come with not a lot of job experience. And then the average profit margin of a cleaning company is only 15%. So you you can't really afford to pay people much above minimum wage. So you've got hard, exhausting work, can't afford to really train, develop, you know, you don't have a lot for that. And then you have people coming into my business with hardly any experience. It's a huge challenge, but we really evolved early on from being a cleaning company to a company that is centered around growth and leadership. And we always say that that we, our goal is to help our people build this skill set that really will help them be successful after they leave our doors. So everything we're doing is about getting them ready and equipping them with the skills they need to be successful for after they leave us. And because of that, I think people really feel invested in, I mean, I know they feel invested in, and they don't want to leave. So while they're cleaning, they're taking courses on things like how, like the FBI and how to find your strengths and articulate them in an interview and how to build meaningful relationships. What is vulnerability? What is empathy? How do you listen? How, you know, what things should you text about? What things should you talk face to face about? And so we we do all of this stuff that doesn't have anything to do with dusting or mopping or vacuuming, but really does help you in your life. And then what happens is people graduate and it's time to move on from the company and they don't want to go because (laughs) they're like, "Will i be able to find another company where I'm invested in. And sadly, I think there are a lot of companies that don't do that. And I wish more would. And I, I dream of the day when every company invests in, in people like they do the bottom line. But I think the average person stays with us until they, they leave school. So for some, that may be four years for some, it's two years, depending on when they join the team. And it isn't uncommon. I mean, sometimes we have to tell people, you got to go, you know, it's time to go (laughs) and branch off and and go out there and and make the mark you want to have on the world. But I think it shows that it doesn't matter what industry you're in, what the work is that you're doing. You can find a way to really inject purpose and meaning into that work. And as long as you're making people feel and like they are the priority because they are, they usually don't want to go anywhere else.
1: That's excellent. So cool. So then I want to get your quick take on millennials, not to belabor the point. But I mean, you've got perhaps one of the most privileged vantage points of any human alive in terms of working with young folk, doing menial work. So, what's your take on, on what's real versus silly overgeneralizations when it comes to millennials?
2: So, I'll tell you two stories quickly. One is a student who came into, um, came into the office and said, do you know where I can get a stamp? Mm-hmm. And we said, what a stamp, you know? And she said, when I need one, my mom mails me one and I don't have time to wait for that. And we're like, your mom mails you a stamp when you need a stamp. Oh my goodness. We can get you a stamp way faster than that. Okay. So it would be really easy for me to, to tell you that story. And then at the end say, oh, millennials, but I'm not going to say that. <laughs> and then I'll tell you this other story. And it's that my mom works with us and she's a baby boomer. And I gave everyone an assignment not too long ago where they had to write their own job description. And I said it needs to be around 500 words. When my mom turned hers in, she kept saying it's either 503, 504, 498. I don't know. I counted so many times, I keep getting a different number. And so I realized that she did not know about word count on Microsoft Word. And she was hand counting every single word on her job description. And it would be really easy for me to say, oh, baby boomers after that, you know, but I'm not going to. So I think. The point is we're all just trying to do our best and we're all just trying to figure it out. And it's really easy to make fun of baby boomers. Just like, it's really easy to make fun of millennials. No, you know, really easy to make fun of Gen X. We're all humans. So let's just put this away and let's just instead focus on how can we just create a place that brings out the best in everyone, that helps everyone realize their potential. And remember that at the end of the day, we all want to feel valued and significant and trusted. And, you know, that's the thing we have in common. So let's focus on that.
1: Yeah that sounds a lot easier you know than doing an yeah. elaborate segmented
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know intervention
1: person by person based on their their generation so so that's great so it sounds like you don't really buy into so much the so-called assertions that millennials are this way as opposed to boobers, which are that way
2: I do think there are things that help shape a generation so I you know we we employ gen z as well as millennials that's primarily our makeup and I think technology has really affected both I think that it's affected our independent thinking because when we have a question our our first thought is let me Google it instead of thinking of it on our own um, when we need directions we type in the address and step by step it tells us exactly what to do we don't have to think about where we are and then on the relationship end it's we're used to texting and social media and so sitting and having a real conversation that's really based on vulnerability maybe isn't comfortable because we're not used to that but then I think about while that's definitely affected us, let's look at everyone else. When I walk into conference rooms with other people, I see people on their phones all the time. It's not just millennials. You know, I see people emailing about important things that really should be face-to-face all the time, not just millennials. So I think technology has affected everyone and, and the way we interact and the way we think. I think it's affected millennials and Gen Zers more because that's really the way that we grew up. But I think it's something that's more, that's widespread. And also, almost 70% of the world is disengaged at work. It, that's, that's not a millennial statistic. That's a human statistic. So to me, it's, what it's saying is, that we don't, this isn't a millennial problem. This is a human engagement problem. And so we have to figure out how are we going to help everyone become more engaged?
1: Perfect. Well, Kristen, tell me anything else you really want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things?
2: I think you, I mean, no, you you are you're good. This is, oh, shucks. I love this interview.
1: Flattery will get you everywhere, Kristen. <laughs> a- appreciated. Well, let's do it. Tell us about a favorite quote, something you find inspiring.
2: I don't know who said it. I, well, I have two and I don't know who said either one. The first is nothing goes to plan and that is the plan. And that just helps me realize that when something happens, it's a deviation. Instead of getting frustrated, realize that that's, it's all part of the process. And one day when you look back, it all makes sense. The other is it really helps me in terms of empathy. It's that hurt people hurt people, loved people love people. So it helps me when someone's emotions kind of exceed the moment or they're angry about something and I cannot understand why they're taking this out on me. I just remember that hurt people hurt people. Like they're probably hurting inside about something else. So I need to come at them with empathy instead of anger.
1: Excellent. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research?
2: Ooh, I love John Gottman's work. Oh yeah. Um, Oh, I'm obsessed with it. And he's, if you don't know John Gottman, oh, look him up. But he studies, he, he's a psychologist. He works a lot in, in marriage and family uh, space. But I find a lot of, of the work he's done can be applied to the workplace. Absolutely. Mm, thank you.
1: And how about a favorite book?
2: Oh, I have so many. Probably the book that influenced me most early on, Delivering Happiness, which is written by Tony Hsieh, the CEO of Zappos. And it really helped me understand what culture is. And that is that it, it's, it's not things like the, having the cool office and a ping pong table and beer on tap, that it's really about how people feel. And then it got me thinking, how do I want people to feel? And how do I help them feel that way?
1: And how about a favorite habit, something that helps you be awesome at your job? I'm sorry, scratch it. <laughs> a favorite tool, something that helps you be awesome at your job.
2: I don't know if this is a tool. I guess it's more of a habit. But every night before I go to bed, I think about what are the three things I want to accomplish tomorrow? And I just, I'm really clear on that because during the day, there's so many things that happen that take you away from important stuff. And so I just, I think the night before identifying what are the three things that if I accomplish these, I'll go to bed feeling like today was a win. It just helps me stay focused when things can get so crazy.
1: And is there a particular nugget that you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks as you speak it?
2: Well, I think it's the title of the book. I think it's that you don't need anyone to give you permission to screw up. You give it to yourself. And just give yourself permission to be human and talk about it. Because I think we're making leadership unattainable because we're acting as if you've got to have all the answers and know how to do everything in order to be a leader. And that's not true. Everyone can be a leader. Everyone can have an impact on the person to the right of them or the left of them. And sometimes we're going to mess up in, in figuring that out and it's all right. And that's normal. So let's just admit that.
1: And if folks want to learn more, get in touch. Where would you point them?
2: Well, all my social media is my name, Kristen Hadid. And then you can go to my website, kristenhadid.com or studentmade.com.
1: Okay. And do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue to folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs?
2: Well, let's see. Since we talked about FBIs, how about give someone at work an FBI in person?
1: Perfect. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for sharing this. This was so much fun. I wish you would student made tons of luck going forward for another nine amazing years. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate Kristen's wisdom and I really appreciate our sponsors. Check them out. There's so many good takeaways here from Kristen, but what resonated with me the most is how she really redefined what work even is for the students there at student made in terms of this isn't really about cleaning toilets and, and making some cash. It's about leadership development and learning and growing and improving and how when that reframe really takes hold and is true, you unlock all kinds of inspiration, motivation, and goodness from folks. And this really hit me on a personal level as I was thinking a little bit about recent interviews I had done at the same time I was visiting Montana with my wife because her grandpa was in her final days of life, and so he was in a nursing home type facility. And I noticed that the the workers, you know, some are some are great, and others really just didn't seem too into it, and and they were kind of not taking the the greatest of care of some of the the folks there. And and in a way, that's understandable in terms of you know in many ways, this is a thankless job. Many of these elderly people don't have all of their their faculties, you know, mentally or physically, and you're doing some what might seem to be menial efforts in terms of moving people and and wiping bottoms and and that sort of thing. And so I think it can really be easy to not dig that job so much. And I wondered, boy, what would be like a Kristen Hadid style reframe of that work experience? And it might be, you know what, when we work here What we're all about is learning to become the selfless, compassionate, kind human beings and growing into that loving, powerful force. And I think that could really attract a lot of folks there and and get them all fired up to, to do the work that they're doing when it seems kind of menial or like a hassle or a drag at times. So I don't know if such an organization exists when it comes to to caring for folks and, and getting really explicit about this is what we're about. But it struck me as a, another way to unlock that same force. So, so what is it for, for your organization, your team or group? Is it about the learning? Is it about becoming a compassionate, caring human beings? Is there a, a larger, bigger, this is the thing that is transforming me when I do this work that could unlock all this kind of goodness. So just something to think about and maybe someone will start some really cool organizations as a result of, of what they're hearing or reimagine their team and the work they do. So anyway, that's how that hit me. Hope it hit you in some other powerful and profound ways that make an impact for you. And again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F305. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll hear from our next guest. It is celebrity Dr. Mike Dow, and he has a few pointers for how to unlock all the more energy, brilliance, mental sharpness to flourish at work each day. Hope to catch you there. Peace.